Well, this week I um, came across a survey on the BBC um, page uh, talking about what people think of, people in Britain think of Easter. And the answer at the end of the report seemed to be uh, that, in general, we're quite confused. And that includes those of us who call ourselves Christians. There's a great deal of confusion about Easter, and in particular about the resurrection, the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. 23%, nearly a quarter of those who identify themselves as Christians, said that they don't believe the resurrection actually happened. More say that there's not really a way of being able to be sure You can't know either way. If you've been with us over the last few mornings, you'll know that we've been looking at Matthew's Gospel. As Kay just said, an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. And this morning, Matthew, the author, draws his story, his Gospel, to a close. And as he does so, he wants us to see that far from being confused or, or unsure... We can be certain. We can be absolutely certain this morning. As we consider the events that surround Jesus' death, Matthew says we can be certain of three things. And the first is that Jesus really died. Jesus really died. That might seem an obvious thing to say this morning, but there are plenty of people who try to suggest otherwise. Uh, They say that perhaps instead of dying, uh, Jesus was just kind of severely injured on the cross. Uh, He was incredibly weak, but not actually dead. Then after uh, three days of R&R in in a nice cool tomb, uh, well, he kind of came round and then walked out and started chatting to people. Uh, That is what some people suggest. Jesus didn't really die. Uh, But if you were with us last Sunday or or on Good Friday, two days ago, uh, through the pages of Matthew's Gospel, we witnessed the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. And as we read about those events, Matthew wants us to be in no doubt. Jesus really did die. After all, killing criminals was something the Romans were particularly good at. Uh, And crucifixion, well, that was a particularly brutal and effective form of execution. Uh, These people, they they didn't make mistakes when it came to killing. Uh, Jesus was executed. And it was witnessed by a whole host of people. One such witness is a man called Joseph. We meet him in verse 57 of our passage. Just look back there, chapter 27, verse 57. Says this, as evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for, for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Now, Mark's gospel tells us that this man, Joseph, he was a prominent member of the Jewish council, a rich man, a senior figure in society. 
And also here in verse 57, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Someone who had chosen to follow this controversial man. Follow the man that the Jewish leaders had decided was causing so many problems for them that they had him executed. And so Joseph, well, I suppose we could say he was a man with a vested interest in Jesus still being alive. He'd thrown his lot in with Jesus. And so if he turned out to be dead, well, then it was all just a big waste of time. A dead Messiah is no use to anyone. Yet Joseph is a witness of the crucifixion. He saw Jesus flogged and beaten. He saw Jesus nailed to the cross. He saw the spear go into his side. He saw him brought down dead. Joseph would have been under no illusion that Jesus could have survived. And so he takes the body, he prepares it, and then he buries it in his own tomb. But it's not just Joseph. Because whilst some might have wanted Jesus to survive, there were others that needed to make sure he was dead. Look at verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he's been raised from the dead. This deception would be worse than the first. You see, in order to really get rid of this Jesus... The priests, they they needed to make sure he was dead. And not just dead, but dead and buried. With no chance of anyone saying otherwise. People knew about Jesus' claim that he would rise again. Jesus had spoken about it. Lots of people had heard him talk about it. And so the priests, well, they had to make sure that that couldn't happen. That Jesus stayed dead. And so that's what they do. Verse 65, the tomb is sealed, the guard is posted, job done. And so you see, Matthew wants us to be clear. Look, Jesus really did die that day. He really did die. And had things ended there, well then Jesus would have gone down in history as just another dead religious teacher. Someone who said some profound things. Someone who died for what he believed in. A a martyr, perhaps. But not the Messiah. Not the Son of God. That's what would have happened if Jesus had stayed dead. But that isn't where Matthew ends his account. Because in chapter 28, we see the second big thing he wants us to be certain of. That Jesus really rose. In chapter 28, verse 1, we join the two Marys on their way to Jesus' tomb. And if you look back at verses 56 and 61, you can see that these two women witnessed Jesus' death and burial. In other words, here are two more witnesses, two more people who were sure that Jesus was dead. And so as they arrive at the tomb, 
or they're expecting to find it sealed or with Jesus' dead body inside. But instead what they find is something completely different. The soldiers who had been posted to guard the tomb are lying unconscious in a heap on the floor. The giant stone that would have been in front of the entrance to the tomb has been rolled away. And then there's an angel with the appearance of lightning just sitting by the tomb. It's a shocking scene. Not what these women would have expected that early Sunday morning as they went to mourn for their friend. It's a huge shock for them. But not as shocking as what the angel says to them. Verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. He has risen. The man that you saw crucified, the man you saw dying on a cross, he is alive. It's happened, just as he told you it would. The women hear the truth From the angel, and then they see the truth in verse 8. Look at verse 8. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. The last time these women saw their friend Jesus, he was hanging dead on a cross. And now Matthew says, suddenly, Jesus met them. Alive, well, greetings, Jesus says. And they came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. These women met the risen Jesus. They touched him. They spoke with him. And it wasn't just them. Because as they run off to tell others, it's not long after this scene outside the tomb that Jesus appears to the other disciples. And then to hundreds of people at the same time. You you can read about it in these accounts. And so you see, Jesus was dead and buried. The Romans made sure of that. The stone, the seal and the guard outside the tomb might have been enough to prevent a plot to steal his body. It might have been enough to prevent fraud on behalf of these few disciples The things that the the priests were worried about. But it was not enough to prevent God's son from coming back to life. This is the truth that Matthew says is plain for all to see. The evidence is clear. It's undeniable, he says. It's the truth that turns these women's grief to joy in verse 8. Jesus is Alive. But it's also a truth that not all are willing to accept. For some, it's a truth that needs to be covered up. Verse 11 while the women are on their way to tell the disciples the good news that Jesus is alive, the guards are on their way to tell the chief priests. (coughs) And you can imagine the scene, can't you? An angry bunch of soldiers bursting in on these priests. All you said was that we had to keep off a bunch of fishermen and a few women. 
You didn't mention anything about earthquakes. You didn't say anything about lightning angels when you gave us this job. You said that Jesus was a nobody, an imposter. Now everyone's saying that he's alive, that he's walking around, chatting to people. What on earth do you want us to do now, the guards say. The report comes back to the the chief priests. Jesus is alive. And so now they've got a choice to make. They can now choose to believe in Jesus. After all, that's what they said they would do back in chapter 27, verse 42. Jesus has beaten death. He's done the thing that he said he would do all along. And so now they've got a chance to believe in him. And had they done that, or had they done that, Jesus would have forgiven them. That is what he died for, to forgive people just like them. They could have believed in him. Or they could reject the truth. They could carry on in their stubborn rebellion, carry on killing Jesus, trying to kill Jesus. And sadly, that's exactly what they do. Verse 12, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. Instead of believing the truth, these men choose once again to lie. And Matthew wants us to see the irony again. These men who who call Jesus the deceiver pay again to spread their deception. And it's not even a good lie when you think about it, is it? The soldiers all fell asleep. The entire entire guard, they, they all just drifted off. And not one of them woke up when the disciples came and shifted a massive stone out of the way of the tomb and dragged their friend out. They were all asleep. And anyway, how, how did the soldiers know that it was the disciples who stole the body? They were all asleep. And if they did know it was the disciples, well then why haven't they just gone round and retrieved the body? It's a terrible lie. It doesn't make any sense. But it's the lie that Matthew says in verse 15 becomes the official line on what happened to that religious fanatic, Jesus. The body was stolen. That's it. It's a pathetic lie. But it's a lie that spreads. And it's a lie that has continued to spread to today. At this point in Matthew's story, you you might be thinking, well, this all is slightly interesting it it all sort of makes sense it's a bit like a kind of historical murder mystery one of those things you see on the tv it's interesting but in the end does it really matter when i leave here this morning and i go and have a nice lunch does it does it matter whether matthew is telling the truth or whether the priests maybe spread a few lies After all, people tell lies all the time, don't they? People lie, people believe lies. That's kind of how the world works. Maybe, maybe you're thinking this is all just a case of it's true for you, 
but not for me. You can believe the resurrection if you like. The guys that have been baptised this morning, great for them, lovely. But it's not for me. But you see, the problem with that is it's just not really how truth claims work. It's not what Matthew is intending for us to get from this. You see, something is either true or it isn't. And so the resurrection either happened or it didn't. Those are the only two options this morning. And if it did happen, if Jesus really did rise, well then there are a number of implications that follow. Which brings us to the last thing that we need to see this morning. And that is that this really matters. This really matters. You see, if the resurrection is true, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, if what Matthew has recorded for us actually happened, well then it has significance for every single person who's ever lived. First, because it means that Jesus can be trusted. Last week we thought about great people, people who made claims to be the greatest, great leaders in different areas of sport and business and those sorts of things. I mentioned Lance Armstrong, the greatest ever cyclist, exposed as a cheat. A man who spoke a lot about, uh, against doping in sport, uh, but whose words were shown to be just empty, useless, after he was shown to be taking drugs to enhance his performance throughout his career. <clears throat> and in Lance Armstrong, well, we see the problem with all human leaders, all great people. The problem is that they are all human. At best, their words can seem powerful, life-changing words. Uh, but all too often they promise more than they can deliver. Uh, their words fade away into distant memory. And at worst, like Lance Armstrong, their words are just empty lies. Uh, an act designed to make them popular, uh, to gather followers uh, and get a following. And so the big question for us this morning is how do we know Jesus isn't like this? How do we know we can trust Jesus' words. Yes, Jesus said he's God's son. Yes, he said that he died for forgive, to bring forgiveness to people. He said that his death brings forgiveness and eternal life for all who will trust in him. He, he said those things, but how do we know that they're true? How do we know we can trust him? Just look again at what the angel said in chapter 28, verse 6. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Before Jesus died, he had said that he would rise again. That was something that even his enemies were acknowledging. And so then the fact that he did then rise proves that what Jesus says can be trusted. Three days after his crucifixion, Jesus walked out of the tomb. He spoke and ate with his friends. He appeared to more than 500 people at once. Eyewitnesses recorded all of this. Jesus was raised from the dead. He took up his life just as he said he would. And so the resurrection is proof that Jesus' words are not empty. 
It's proof that he's not promising more than he can deliver. It's proof that he is no liar. It means that we can trust him. One writer puts it like this. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of it? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. The resurrection means Jesus can be trusted. Second, it means that death is defeated. We thought this morning a bit about truth and lies, about facts and fiction. But there's one thing, one fact that we can all in this room agree on. That is that all people die. It doesn't matter how good or talented we are, how rich or successful, we all die. In a recent article, England rugby great Johnny Wilkinson talks about all of his victories, all of his career successes. And then towards the end he says this, I couldn't figure out how to avoid death. It was like a game I could not win. The fact is we are all limited when it comes to death. It can't be beaten by determination or talent or courage or money or power. It's something that we all face. And so some people, well, they acknowledge that and then they think, well, the best thing to do is to try and think of it as a positive thing. So Oscar Wilde wrote, Death must be so beautiful to lie in the soft brown earth with the grasses waving above one's head and to listen to silence. To have no yesterday and no tomorrow, to forget time, to forget life, to be at peace. Death must be beautiful, says Oscar Wilde. But for those who have come close to death, those who have had someone close to you die, you know that it's not beautiful. It's painful. It's not right. And it would be utterly hopeless were it not for the resurrection of Jesus. You see, the truth that Jesus rose from the dead is what gives us hope, a real hope, in the face of death. Because as well as claiming that he would die and rise again, Jesus says the same is true for anyone who believes in him. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Jesus promises that if we believe in him, we will be raised to life after death, just as he was. He promises that all who listen to and trust in him will live with him forever. And his own resurrection is the proof that that is true, that we can trust him. Mark Ashton was a Christian pastor of a church in Cambridge. He was diagnosed with cancer and not given very long to live. Just listen to what he says about facing his own death. My death forces me to face the resurrection of Jesus. No longer is it a bald fact of history for me. It is of crucial significance for every person who faces their own death honestly. 
Until I am dead, I cannot know for certain what will happen to me after my death. But Jesus has already risen. If I know him now, I will know him then. He is my assurance in dying. And and his resurrection is central to Christianity. The resurrection means Jesus can be trusted. It means that death is defeated. And finally, it means that Jesus is king. This was Matthew's big point last week, wasn't it? We saw the irony as the soldiers in the crowds mocked Jesus as king, when the real truth was that he is the king. And his resurrection, well, that confirms that fact. We're going to look at the last few verses of Matthew's gospel in detail next week. But just briefly look at chapter 28, verse 18, just over the page there. The reason Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given to me, says Jesus. You see, the resurrection isn't just Jesus' victory over death, but it's also his ascension to the throne of heaven. He is the risen ruler of heaven and earth. The one who has been given the name that is above every name. The king of kings, the lord of lords, raised, exalted, seated on the throne. And that means he has authority, all authority over all people. Paul, Faye and Rachel have all testified this morning to the fact that Jesus is their king. They've been baptised to show that, well, that they've died to that old life. That life where they acted as though they were in charge, as though they were king. They've died to that life. And they've been raised, raised to new life as people who belong to the risen King Jesus. People who now live their lives for him, who have acknowledged him as their king. That's what they've done. And the resurrection means that, well, it means that Jesus makes the same demand of each one of us here this morning. He is the risen king, which means he's the rightful ruler of all Christians, but also of all agnostics, of all atheists. He's the rightful ruler of all people, whatever color or background, whatever education or income whether people have heard about Jesus all their lives or only just a few times or never before. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. The resurrection proves that Jesus is the king, that he is the rightful ruler of you and of me. And that is the reality, whether or not we see it yet. And so you see, Matthew says, we can be sure this morning. We can be certain, despite the lies, despite the cover-ups, we can be sure that Jesus really did die. We can be sure that Jesus really rose. And we can be sure that this really matters because it's Jesus' death and resurrection that gives us the certain hope of forgiveness and eternal life with him. Let's pray that we would know those things for certain.
this morning. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Our risen Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning that you are the King of Kings, the one who has defeated death and offers us eternal life simply by trusting in you. Father, would we know that wonder, that joy of resurrection life this morning? And would we leave here praising your name as the one who has won that for us? Amen.